Let us go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, your word says that you will not restrain your mercy from us. Your steadfast love and faithfulness will ever preserve us. Even though evil surrounds us, even though iniquities overtake us, you are able to deliver. Be pleased to deliver us, we pray. We certainly live in precarious times. And the dangers are all around us, not just physical dangers, but more importantly, spiritual danger. Temptation engulfs us like air. And we cannot escape it. We pray that you might give us eyes to see clearly. Give us ears to hear and discern your voice from all the noise. Lord, give us faith to make you our trust in all things and at all times. We pray that you would deliver us from the path that leads to pits and dangers. Deliver us when we find ourselves trapped in those pits. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity. As Luke has already prayed uh, this week in Vacation Bible School, so many young hearts, so many households and families, we're grateful Lord, for those who gave their time and their energy to serve, I pray that you will take all the gospel seeds sown this week and that you will make the seeds die in the soil of those hearts. Make new life to spring forth and transform them. Lord, make all the work to be fruitful for your kingdom and glory. Bring them back to this church. Make us a faithful body interested only in making you known. Make us fruitful stewards of your grace here in this community. May this be our passion, not only for a week, Lord, or a week of camp or a particular mission trip, but ignite our hearts to see this as our calling 365 days a year. That we might live daily for your eternal glory. May it be so. Lord, speak into our lives today as only you can to shape us, to make us, to mold us like Christ that you, Lord, might make yourself known in this community and throughout the furthest reaches of this world. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> like a scene out of a movie, one moment, city street, is calm and ordinary and the next moment the asphalt and concrete crumble away revealing a giant hole an abyss right there in the ground according to one NPR reporter a scooter rider in Bahai, China got to experience the sudden sinkhole up close and personal it seems that as this rider approached the newly formed abyss, the operator appeared to be staring at his cell phone. Soon he was staring at the inside of the collapsed road. In Pawtucket, Rhode Island in January, a water main broke that enabled the street to swallow an entire truck. Carlos Rodriguez, the owner of the truck, said, when I tried to move the truck forward, the front went through the hole. From there, a lot of things went through my head. 
a tow truck was required to extract the vehicle from the sinkhole. Stories like these are not that rare. They're not that uncommon. I share them because they provide us with analogies for life. Much like what the psalmist is writing here in this 40th Psalm. So he's talking about the pit, the pit of destruction. In essence, we might say that life is filled with pits. You've heard it said, life is pits, right? Life is the pits. Well, there may be some truth to that. This made me think about Cato Laomor, the king, who was a contemporary of Abraham and Lot. He's mentioned in Genesis 14, 9. He was the king of Elam, which was an ancient civilization in the region that we know as Iran. In the biblical accounts, Cato Laomor was a fierce and formidable king. He formed an alliance with a group of other kings, and it appears he was their leader. After some time, some of these kings rebelled against him. But he was still able to go to war and defeat several groups, several tribes. He also conquered the people who lived in the future land of the Amalekites and the Amorites. And at that point, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and a few other regional kings went out to fight against him. Kedor Laomer's coalition apparently was unable to withstand, uh, was able to withstand the, these armies and won the battle and he took much plunder and including kidnapping Lot, Abraham's nephew. And you remember the account, maybe you do. It's kind of a, um, it's kind of hidden there in Genesis, Genesis 14. But Abraham takes 300 men that were employed by him and pursues, gives pursuit to them. But one of the things that struck me was the description. It says that that uh, the people who were fleeing from Kedar Laomer's armies, they fled to the hills, and this took place in the valley surrounding the Dead Sea. The text in Genesis 14 says, as they tried to escape, some of them fell into bitumen pits or tar pits in the valley of Siddim. Now, these bitumen pits are about what you would expect. They're comprised of petroleum and natural gas, and uh, they're, they're uh, gooey, sticky. In fact, the, uh, in ancient times, this material was, was extracted from the ground and it was exported to Egypt and used to embalm mummies. It was also used as a mortar-like substance with adobe bricks. Falling or stumbling into one of these pits would be not good. There was little chance that you would free yourself. Now, I'm thinking about this. David wrote this psalm, and David spent a lot of time down in the wilderness there of uh, the uh, Judean area, down around this uh, sea, uh, the Dead Sea area. In fact, he spent a lot of time in Engedi. And I imagine, in my thinking, that David had these pits in mind as he's writing this psalm, those bitumen pits, the pits of destruction. If you have been around very long and you have looked at some of the older movies. You know, the movies used to uh, depict quicksand out in the jungle. That was one of the big enemies, right? Uh, I understand that those uh, depictions of quicksand were quite exaggerated, that they're not quite as dangerous as they were made out to be. But these pits were dangerous. They would uh, entrap someone and take 
their life quickly. So he talks about this pit of destruction, a miry bog. Now, not necessarily trying to warn us about physical pits, but warning us about the spiritual pits, the emotional pits that this life holds for us. And I would ask the question, we don't live in the Middle East, we don't live near the Dead Sea, do those pits exist in our world today? Well, the answer is yes, they do. And so I want to give you a few, this is not exhaustive, but something to think about as we think about our daily lives and the pits that we find ourselves encountering. I would submit to you that there's first of all the temptation pit. The temptation pit. What is that? Well, it could be pornography. Pornography is everywhere. There's easy access to it in its crudest forms. There's advertising and social media that advocates for what you might call soft porn. All using sex appeal to draw customers. Then there's gambling. Gambling seems to be the new uh, entertainment uh, today. It's not something that's perceived as a threat any longer or a danger, even though it is dangerous, filled with high stakes beyond just the money, but the mental, emotional draw, the thrill that goes with this high wagering of resources. Then there's sexual promiscuity. Movies, television, gaming, advertising, all of them are advocating for sexual promiscuity. In fact, if truth be known, the impassioned cries for abortion rights these days, I believe, is nothing more than advocating for living any way you want to without consequences. What about infidelity and unfaithfulness in marriage? What about drug misuse, drug abuse for recreational purposes or prescription drugs? These things tend to be slippery slopes that we can slide into a pit if not careful. What about the conflict pit? The conflict pit, marital conflicts that end in divorce because it's easy, unhealthy, broken relationships in our families, what about those in the workplace? Disrespect, suspicion, jealousy, or just our friends and acquaintances. How easy it is for our relationships to fracture over conflict. Social media is a bastion of conflict, a fertile field for conflict, because so many people can hide behind anonymity and not have to face those that they accuse or argue with. What about the financial pit? Materialism encourages, encourages us to overspend our resources, that we need these things, we want and crave these things, which leads us into debt, mismanaging the uh, resources that we have at our disposal. Greed leads to poor financial decisions. The effort to get rich quick, again, circles back to the gaming, gambling industry thinking we're going to hit some arbitrary number or chain of events that's going to make us all rich. Then there's the time pit. Technology claims to make us more efficient. My feeling is it makes us less efficient. Technology tends to be a great 
time-eating monster. It has an endless trail of data that you can pursue, lures you into conversations that lead to nowhere, to forfeit integrity in the use of your time. You see it as you make your way through any retail store. You see employees that are using telephones as a distraction, so much so that they're not eager to engage in the work for which they're being paid. It leads to not being constructive or productive, surfing the web, wasting huge amounts of time. Then there's the appearance pit, the appearance pit, exercise, diet, plastic surgery. Wait, don't get me wrong. I'm not against maximizing your appearance. I think you ought to do the best with what God has given you that you can do, right? But what we're talking about here is the obsession, the obsession with these things, how we look, how we appear. The glamour, the fashion, I'm not suggesting it's wrong, just saying that it's harmful to obsess over these things, which our culture tends to do. What about the criticism and negativity pit? Fault finding is a favorite pastime in our society today. The internet has made us all experts in everything, so we think. Education, knowledge, we believe we have the answers to everything. Politicians draw a lot of criticism, and some of it rightly so, but few of us actually know all the facts that are behind the decisions that are being made. I'm not trying to defend or justify. I'm just saying that there's always another side to the story. Athletes, coaches, they live, we live vicariously through them. We all aspire to be them. And it leads us to engage in active criticism and negativity toward those that we envy or even resent. Then there's the anxiety and depression pit. Life's not going the way I want it to go or I envy other people and feel terrible about myself when things, my life doesn't seem to match up or any number of other things that factor into that. Some of them can be purely DNA oriented. All of us are pit dwellers more than we care to admit. We end up in pits by making unwise decisions. We end up in the financial pit because we're undisciplined. We end up in pits because we're rebellious. We end up in the criticism pit by feeding on unhelpful data or by associating with those who do. We can end up in pits due to things beyond our direct control. We end up in the anxiety pit because you experience health problems or because of your DNA. There is an ultimate pit that enslaves all people. I think that's what David is pointing toward here in this passage, the pit of destruction. God made a good creation. Without sin, everything Needed was provided by God, but disobedience and rebellion marred the creation and all humanity with it. And all of sin, the wages of sin is death, judgment. We have no hope or capability to escape this pit on our own. So how do we extract ourselves? How do we find deliverance? This is what David's getting at in this psalm. The great deliverer. The one who extracts us from the pit, the ultimate pit, 
and the one who extracts us from those daily pits that we find ourselves dealing with. So how can you be delivered? There's several ways to respond when we find ourselves in one of these abysses. First of all, you can give up, give in, and stay in the pit. You know some people who do that? Just give up, give in, and stay in the pit. Some people resign themselves to the pit. They may even have an affection for the pit. They'd rather be in the pit than be somewhere else. There's a sense of comfort there. We see this happen with, uh, with prisoners who maybe get paroled after spending a long time in prison and they don't know how to function out in the real world any longer. And so they may subconsciously do things that land themselves back in prison where they at least know the ropes, right? Others are willing to resist or seek something different. Secondly, you can try to take matters into your own hands. You can be prideful in this manner and think that you have the way to answer the issue. He says here in this text in verse 4, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud and to those who go astray after a lie. To those who go astray after a lie. When you find yourself in a pit, it's tempting to believe that you can deliver yourself. Professing Christians can be deluded into trusting themselves rather than God. A few years ago, I don't know, five or six years ago maybe, I was working around my uh, property, around my house one day, and I was raking up some leaves and dead limbs and things like that. And so I had uh, my trailer hooked up to my SUV and pull it around and was putting all those things in there. Well, I have a little place in the far back corner of my property that's kind of you know, it's just kind of a hole down there. It just kind of drops off into nothing. And that's a convenient place for me to take leaves and limbs and things and place them. So I went back there and just like I had done so many times before, backed the trailer down, emptied it and started to leave. And when I started to pull out, something I hadn't realized was the ground was just a little bit wetter than it was typically uh, used to being. And so my tires began to spin. And so I thought, okay, the trailer's heavy. Ground's a little wet. I went out, I unhitched the trailer and tried to remove my SUV and said, I'll get the trailer later. But still couldn't get out. I went out, I got things and tried to make traction, you know, under the tires and uh, to get, get, extract myself out. But what happened was I was slowly working myself down the hill toward the fence into a deeper hole, okay? And so the more this happened, the more my pride kicked in. You know, I'm going to get myself out of this mess. And so I was rocking the vehicle and the smoke was a flying and the mud was flying. And all of a sudden, Karen showed up down there and she's got her hands on her hips. That's always a bad sign. <laughs> I looked up and saw her standing there with her hands on her hips. And I said, go back to the house now. <laughs> and she did. <laughs> I must have really looked bad. The bottom line was all I did was get myself in deeper and deeper and deeper. And there came a point where I realized I had to make a decision. Was I going to continue to try to extract myself and my own abilities? Or was I going to swallow my pride and call in someone to rescue me? And clearer thinking prevailed. And I called in 
the tow truck. And not just any tow truck because no one was willing to come out onto the grass because they knew it was going to be wet. And it was a pretty good indicator. If I was stuck, they could get stuck. So it required a special tow truck to come and pull the vehicle out. But we can think that we get ourselves into a pit that we can get ourselves out. But that's not true. You can trust the true deliverer. David says, I waited patiently. What does this mean? I waited patiently. It's a common theme in the Bible. In Psalm, in 37th Psalm, we read verse 7 says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Verse 9, those who wait for the Lord will inherit the land. Verse 34, wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you. Now it seems, it sounds passive. Wait, just wait. Arms folded, sitting and just waiting for something to fall out of the sky. But that's not a correct interpretation here. It's not sitting in the waiting room at the doctor's office thumbing through the magazines or watching Flip This House on the television. There's actually an intentionality here. There's an active thrust here. Think on these circumstances. Think on these things. Consider these things in this pit, in this place, whatever is going on, whether I made the decision to bring me here, whether it's the result of things outside of my control, but I'm in this pit. Why? What, what are the options here? How will God work and move in the middle of this? How will he do it? How will it affect me now and in the future? How should it be shared with others? How should you petition God for deliverance in this situation? He says we cry out to him in prayer. We cry out to him, but we rest in his will. There's desperation in play here. Desperation. When you've got pride, you're not desperate. It's only when the pride falls on the rocks of despair that we can truly cry out to God. Waiting patiently means trusting that God alone can and will deliver. He may deliver in the way I hope. He may deliver in some other way that I cannot see coming. He may ultimately deliver by leading me into eternity. But God will lead. So this is an active crying out to God, actively seeking God's provision and his deliverance in his way and in his timing, yet resting in the goodness and faithfulness and steadfastness of his love. Now you can only do this by rehearsing God's previous deliverances. You can only do this as you contemplate and think and study on what God has done in the past. This helps us understand who he is, his character, and that he's trustworthy. This builds our ability to understand and see him as being trustworthy no matter what's going on around me in my life, no matter what my surroundings are like. We read and contemplate his revelation. Things like Isaac and Abraham up on Mount Moriah, there because God sent them there. Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, up there on Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice to me. Abraham knew in his heart of hearts that God was going to provide, but he didn't know how. 
but he was confident that God would. Why? Because he was confident in who God is. Because of God's provision in his life prior to this moment. And the same thing is true for us. God's word is so important to us because we go back and we rehearse how God has continually, consistently provided. This reassures us of who he is. Delivering Joseph out of a pit. Now, he's a very complex situation, right? Joseph was despised by his brothers, resented by his brothers. They were trying to figure out, do we kill him? Do we sell him into slavery? What are we going to do with Joseph? God provided for Joseph to be taken out of the pit, Genesis 37 says. And he was indeed sold into slavery. Hardly, hardly what you and I would consider to be a rescue, right? Yet God delivered him into slavery, which ultimately delivered him into prison. And you go for several years there, Joseph had to figure, is God really delivering me or is God punishing me? It was deliverance. It was deliverance. In fact, he ended up elevating Joseph to second command in the most powerful nation in the earth. Why? Because God knew that his people needed a redeemer. And this was the way that he chose to redeem them. Delivering Israel out of Egyptian bondage through plagues. Delivering sinners from the pit of destruction through a crucified Savior condescending from heaven, God's Son coming down, and though no sin of his own, going to the cross and taking our sin upon himself and there suffering and dying under the weight of that judgment for you and I. This, reflecting on these things, enables us to understand how God will use the circumstances we find ourselves in. How does this happen for those of us who are in the pit of destruction? Well, by repenting of sin and believing the gospel. Believing God's gospel, that Jesus paid the penalty for our sin, that he resurrected and has demonstrated power over death, hell, and the grave. It's not our doing, but it's his doing. Taking him at his word, believing his promise, and resting in his deliverance. Ephesians 2 8 says, For my gra by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. This is how you, how you escape or are delivered from the ultimate pit of destruction. But what about those daily pits? Can, can someone who's been delivered out of the ultimate pit find themselves back in these, these daily trials of life absolutely will you find yourself in a pit this week chances are pretty good in this crowd there are going to be some pits in life are there not so how do we deal with those how do we handle those times and circumstances well God's word is still critical revealing his provision remember the pit Peter stumbled into when he denied Christ that pit was so deep. That pit of denying Christ was so deep, Judas couldn't bear up under it. He took his own life to try to escape it. Peter was so miserable. He didn't know what to do. 
the Lord restored him. He restored him. He came to him and restored him and said, Peter, I still have purpose and plans for you. He extracted him from the pit of despair, from the pit of failure. We seek him. We desire him more than the comforts that this world offers. We were talking in, in our Bible study class this morning about how suffering and how difficult things in this world serve to encourage us to turn loose of the things of this world in order to embrace something more valuable. And that something is Christ. And we can become joyful and content no matter his plans and path for us. So these things that we encounter Are we there because we made the decision to enter into the pit? Are we there because we were so close to it that we were playing with the fire and got burned? Are we there because the circumstances of this broken world led us there of no fault of our own? The question is, who's going to lead you out of that pit? Who's going to bring you out of that pit? You can't do it in and of yourself. It's only him. Only Christ who can extract us. Only he is our deliverer. He can make us into transformed pit dwellers. We're all pit dwellers. The question is, will you be a transformed pit dweller? He says that a transformed pit dweller has a new heart. This text points us to God's promised covenant with Israel in Ezekiel Chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. It's not in you or me to obey God's rules. In fact, we are rebels. We come into this world as rebels. We want to obey our own rules. We want to follow our own desires, which always lead us away from God's rules. But when God changes the heart of stone out, giving us a heart of flesh, he gives us new desires, a desire to pursue him, a desire to pursue his plans, his purposes, He creates in us a desire and a lust for the things that please him. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 18 says, anyone is in Christ. He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Gives us a new heart. This is what the deliverer does. And with that new heart, he gives us a new gratitude, a new appreciation, a new thanksgiving. Over the years, I've come to notice a couple of things. One is that professing Christians have a great deal of difficulty appreciating the gospel. We get complacent. We're not eager to talk about the gospel. It's almost like we're embarrassed in some sense. The world points at us and says that slaughterhouse religion that talks about blood being shed and death and crucifixion and, well, this is the reproach that the world sees in the gospel. And we're easily bored by spiritual things. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a hundred times. Well-meaning Christians disparage the study of theology 
And I'm thinking, do you understand what you just said? You understand that theology is the study of God, right? How can you be bored by that? If you are truly and genuinely a bona fide card-carrying Christian today, how can you be bored with the study of God? And if you are, how could you be so audacious as to admit it? <laughs> if you find discussions about God and his ways to be boring, you've got bigger issues than just a short attention span. You've got spiritual, deep spiritual issues at hand. Listen, he's given you a new heart. If he's given you a new heart, he's given you a new love and affection, and that affection is going to appoint you to him. And if it's not pointing you to him, then you have a problem with the affection of the heart, which tells you that you have a disease in the heart. This is not rocket science, it's logic. And it's pretty clear, spiritually speaking. You may not understand what redemption actually means. Do we appreciate what it means to be lost? to be separated from God, to be condemned by a holy God, a holy and righteous judge who sits over everything and knows everything, every intimate detail he knows, and to be condemned by him. This is what it means to be lost. This is what it means to be of our own making, to have that heart of stone. Do we appreciate what it means to be in the pit? Every one of us takes life for granted. We go to bed at night assuming we'll wake up in the morning. We get on an airplane never considering the possibility that it won't land at our destination and that we'll exit it just like we got on it. We get in the car and make our way to church or on any other trip, and we never consider that we we'll reach, won't reach our destination. The other day I was driving, I had to pull over as EMTs and fire truck came blowing by with the sirens going, and once it passed me, I just pulled back out on the road, didn't give it another thought. I go down the road a few more minutes, and I go by a restaurant, and there's where they were. They were in the parking lot, and they were coming out of the restaurant with somebody on the gurney. And I had this thought, I'm thinking this person went in, sat down to have some lunch and came out entirely differently than they expected to. Life changed dramatically, probably in just the bat of an eye. And the breath or the lack of a breath. We don't seem to think about the brevity of this life. We don't think about the seriousness of eternity near enough. We think things will go on just as they've always gone on. People who are lost and worldly, I expect them to be that indifferent. But those of us who profess Christ, how can we dare be that indifferent and apathetic? We're supposed to see and think about things differently, but do we? Do we possess a grateful spirit for Christ and his grace, or are we just like the rest of the world? The person who recognizes that God has miraculously plucked them out of the pit of destruction has a new gratitude, a new heart, a new gratitude, and a new song, David says. A new song on the lips doesn't stop with a different attitude or thankfulness. When we've been drawn out of the pit of destruction, when we've been transformed into a new creation, when we realize that God has done for us, we have a new heart 
and with it a new song on the lips, a song of praise to our God. And many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord because of it. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will, you hear what he's singing here? He's singing, I will, I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance. I have not restrained my lips. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness. It's abundantly clear. A transformed pit dweller cannot be gagged or silenced. Once you've been in the pit and you've been brought out, miraculously delivered from that pit, you can't keep your silence. You just can't do it. It gives way to a new song. You like those songs that are annoying? You know, I'm that way with the Andy Griffith theme. You know, once I hear it, then... I heard it this week. I was in my office and these guys working on the construction and I heard one of the guys down the hall whistling the Andy, Andy Griffith theme. And once he started, then it was in my head bouncing around. I couldn't get rid of it. I heard Judy say this week, Judy Garrett, we were sitting in here during the VBS singing and the song that they sang this week, I don't know what it was, but she knew and she said, oh, I can't get that song out of my head. Don't you hate that? but it has a good thing. David says he now has this redemptive, delivered salvation song running through his head and he can't stop singing it. He can't stop expressing it, proclaiming it, glorifying and honoring God for what he has done. It should fill our lips with a new song that we can't shake. It's always on the lips. And then he says we have a new confidence. We have a new assurance. What is it? Once God's brought you out of the pit, you know what? You always know God can bring you out of the pit and God will bring you out of the pit. See, he's praying over here. He knows the pits are gonna continue to come. He knows he's gonna stumble into another one. He knows he's gonna find himself in another difficult situation, but he has every confidence that God will do for him again what he's already done for him. He can trust him. He circles back around. None will ever be as bad or as hopeless as the pit of destruction without Christ. That pit chained us to sin, death, and hell. But after we repent of our sin and believe the gospel, there will be other pits that bog us down and snare us. They're not hopeless. They slow us down. They distract us. They make us unfruitful. But our deliverance is still from Christ. It gives us assurance that our Lord is able to deliver Every pit he delivers us out of strengthens our confidence that he will do it again. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever, will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. I am poor and needy, even yet, but the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Now, 
But we've already talked about a lot of application this morning. We don't need to rehearse all that again. But let me just ask you this. What pit are you in today? What pit are you in that you can't, you just can't extract yourself from? Is it the pit of destruction, the pit of sin, death, and hell, rejection of God that has you in the crosshairs of God's condemnation and judgment? You can't change that in and of yourselves. I don't care how much you try to will and work yourself. You cannot, you cannot deliver yourself. You just wallow around in it. Only by believing the gospel, believing that Christ came and paid your penalty of sin, that he died on the cross for your sin in your place, and that he resurrected, that he might give resurrection life to those that follow him in faith and repentance. Will you put your faith and trust in him and know his deliverance today? Maybe there's other things in your life, things that you don't know how you got there or you know exactly how you got there, but you certainly don't know how to get out. You can strive, you can strive and work and try to get out, but you're not going to successfully do it. Make the Lord your trust. David says, those who trust the Lord, Lean into him and his power and provision. Wait patiently, not passively, but actively and intentionally waiting, trusting him. Take him at his word, believe him, obey him. When, we, when he delivers, then we proclaim the story of his grace. We sing a new song. Don't you want a new song? you tired of singing that same old helpless, hopeless song? Woe is me, I am undone. Well, Christ will elevate us and make us done in him. Father, we thank you and bless you today for who you are. What a glorious redeemer you are. One who has delivered us from the pit of death, hell, and destruction. And one who is ready to Deliver us from all of the ills of this world, the brokenness that's all around us. We find ourselves being lured in. We find ourselves falling in. Every time we turn, we find ourselves looking up at that gaping hole that we just plunged through. Lord, we pray that your spirit would move in our lives this morning, that you would, Lord, make us your own, that you would make us products of your deliverance. And that you would continue to produce fruit in our lives. For that one who's never trusted you, I pray that today would be the day that they turn to you in faith and repentance, believing the gospel and trusting you for eternal life and forgiveness. Lord, for those that are struggling with whatever they're dealing with in daily life, that today you would show them how to wait patiently on you, to look to you, Lord, in a proactive way and trust you to deliver and strengthen for your glory and for your honor. Lord, we make this prayer today in Jesus' sweet name and for his sake, amen.